Sometimes a person gets too attracted to the rasam or the tradition, rite and ritual. And then that distracts them and diverts them from the hakika, from the reality and the true goal and objective of tasawwuf. And so the whole goal and objective of tasawwuf is tazkiyah and ismah, to purify my heart, rectify my nafs, bring myself firmly onto the grounds and the sharia, follow the self and mustaqeem. And any and every practice that can bring me onto that is useful only to the extent that it brings me onto that. And some of the practices, when they bring me onto that, and I may no longer need those practices anymore. Now, to take an example from other disciplines of Islamic learning. So in Tajweed, a person begins by learning what we call Aida, the Haruf, you know, the Arabic alphabet and how to pronounce it in Maharaj uh, intonation and from which part of the throat and which teeth and etc. to pronounce. But once a person learns that, and if they learn that properly, then they don't need to keep learning it. Rather, they need to use that learning in recitation of Quran. Obviously, if they drop everything entirely, that's also not good. And unfortunately, sometimes happens that people learn Tajweed, but they never go on to recite Quran. But you don't have to keep learning Tajweed over and over again your whole life. The purpose of Tajweed was to recite, and now you should keep reciting your whole life. Another example is that of an ilm in the ulum al-Islamiyah, in the you know, formal method of classical Islamic learning. There's a discipline called salaf. You know, there's very simply verb conjugation and fancy English people like to call it morphology, etc. So that involves sometimes memorizing conjugal forms, memorizing verb charts. But that's just a means to a goal. And that's in order, and even now in grammar and everything, it's just studied in order to achieve a goal and objective, which is the ability to read Arabic and be able to understand grammatically what's going on in the sentence so that you can derive understanding and meaning. And once a person learns those, and, you know, certainly that can take some time, learns Arabic syntax and grammar, after that you don't have to learn it, keep learning it on a daily basis. You just have to use it to get at that understanding. Now let's move to the third example. The understanding of Quran itself 
is also in of itself only beneficial if it leads to hidayah and practice. You know, we have many times in our life been non-Muslims who are, you know, spent their life studying Islam without Iman. And so they don't do any amal, obviously. But, you know, because if somebody spends 10, 10, 15, 20 years first learning Arabic and reading so many tafasir, then, you know, they get a lot of information. And you could even say they have understanding about certain things. And many times it might have some flaw in it or be skewed because of their kufr. But still, it's an understanding nonetheless. And as everybody knows, that understanding has no value whatsoever because it doesn't lead to hidayah, it doesn't lead to practice. Similarly, there are some believers also who may do translation Quran course or tafsir Quran diploma, but if it doesn't change them in their practice of deen, doesn't give them hidayah on deen, then of what real value is that understanding? So everything in deen is done for a goal and purpose of objective, and that is to seek the pleasure of Allah Ta'ala, that is to have stronger iman, yakin in Allah that is to have more ita'a, more obedience and worship and servitude to Allah Ta'ala. And that is what is called khlas. Allah said in Quran, Mukhlasin al-Khuddin. There are people, yes, they learn deen, they practice deen, they try to understand deen, they do dawah to deen, they do khidmat to deen, but they do that as mukhlasin. They do that entirely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure. Entirely and exclusively for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure. So that's called ikhlas. Interestingly, ikhlas is one of the goals of the sawaf. And you know, some of the mashayikh used to say, you know, what is the sawaf? Some would say yakin, some would say ikhlas, some would say ikhlas. But in another sense, ikhlas is required at every stage of the self. It's not just an outcome or a goal. It's a precondition. It has to be part of our niyyah. It has to be there with us every step of the way on the path. And at any time, at any moment, when we don't have such a khlas, then there's a danger of a departure or danger of falling from the true path of the self. Lack of ikhlas means we start doing it for some other reason. Or even we just do it for its own sake. You'll find some people in this world, they're just fond of viewing themselves as Sufi. It's just like an identity that they're fond of having. It's like a culture that they want to be a part of. So they have their particular you know, way of dressing and big dusty and green scarf and all types of things. And they're just fond of that. They're just... It's just an identity, an affiliation for them. But that identity had no benefit unless it was used to get the pleasure of Allah Taala, used for the worship and remembrance and obedience of Allah Taala. So that's what's called resmi. And hakiki means that person who truly is focused on the goal and object. Like what in English they call object-oriented growth and development. Now, what happens is that sometimes, and this is where it gets tricky, sometimes a rasam is adopted in order to get at a hakikat. For example, you know, like some Salafis like the critique that why do you use a rosary bead with this beef? 
so the truth is that yes, uh, you know, there are some narrations of some Sambhakram having knotted ropes and things like that, but by and large, Sambhakram did not have these things. So what happened? It was a tool, a rasam, that was used in order to get a hakikat. Just like that, there have been many other tools that are used as part of training, many other techniques that are used in order to increase our discipline, our focus, our concentration, our awareness of the small dawn. Just like there's so many tools of the seer and so many methods and tajweed. So sometimes you have to adopt a rasam in order to get the hakikat. But the danger lies when a person gets overly obsessed with the rest of itself. And even sometimes this can happen very sincerely. Uh, you know that a person obviously if it's a method to a goal, so they want to make sure they understand the method. They want to make sure they're doing the, using the method properly and they make sure they're doing it right. And sometimes they get so caught up in it that they forget why they adopted the method in the first place. Right? It's almost like, you know, very carefully designing a house and then forgetting to live in it. You're getting so caught up in the architecture, the interior design, the layout, and then you forgot that actually this is just a place of this. All this was done so I could live in it. I wasn't just designing it for the sake of becoming a designer. And so that's why it's very important. Sometimes, not all the time and not for everyone, but sometimes, in this path of the sogo for a person to drop the rasam. Or maybe I better rephrase that, uh, better phrase it, to drop their focus on the rasam, to drop their consciousness of the rasam, and just focus on the goal. So, for example, sometimes people in zikr, they focus too much on the method of zikr. And sometimes you should use that method, but don't focus on the method, just focus on the zikr. Focus on the method. Don't focus on the method. Just focus on the zikr. How can I give you an example? So, let's say, for example, he used to talk about particular types of zikr, which he calls shuvu. Shuvu meant that there was some particular, even sometimes peculiar, method that would be adopted in order to increase the feeling of remembrance and ulusmantal in order to increase the person's concentration. Say, for example, sometimes some particular type of breathing. All right? Now, on the one hand, you know, if you... And this is the danger. You see, the breathing is just a method. It's just a rasam. But if you make it hakika, then you end up in something totally different. Uh, then you end up in yoga. You end up in all types of other things. And those aren't Islamic practices. But if you use... The breathing just as a method. For example, like some of the Salah Salihin used to tie themselves with a rope when they would pray long Salah. And that's not established from the Hadith and the Vyakarim, but this was a method they used to keep their Qiyam, to be able to stand, to fight their fatigue. Allah Akbar. I mean, look at these people, right? I mean, one is, okay, I'll pray. You know, that's how the best of us are today, that if I do some extra Salah, I'll pray until I get tired. So people wake up, even if somebody is incredibly blessed by Muslim, so they wake up with the hedges. They don't decide before and how many rappels they're going to pray. They just say whatever is easy. If I pray two and again I feel tired, maybe I'll even go back to sleep. If I feel two and I feel I can pray two more, I'll pray four. But this is a different type of person. 
This is somebody from the Salah Samin who has deep resolve and intention that I'm going to stand in that Musallah and I'm going to keep standing. And they know that I'm going to get tired. So what they do is they tie themselves with the rope so that they can stay standing. That's exactly what's called Shiva. This is what Hazrat Al-Rabbi meant. To adopt the method, but only for the sake of the goal and not to get caught up in the method itself or to be obsessed with the method itself. Right. So others, you know, sometimes would make wudu just to, to have wudu, but they would just use wudu in order to sort of uh, wake themselves up, so to speak. Right? And again, to be able to last longer in Ibadah. So these were, I mean, these were very serious people. They were very serious about the Ibadah. And they adopted, you know, and undertook methods so that they could do more and more Ibadah. But the method never became the goal in itself, right? And what we do sometimes, not all the time, but not everybody, but sometimes we get too caught up in the method. So sometimes you have to just let it go. And you know, in Arabic, in Urdu, there's this word called the kalluf. So the kalluf really means, you know, in a very sort of artificial, stuffy type of formality. It's like the opposite of being natural. It's very important that in our zikr we should be very natural because zikr is our nature. Zikr is the fitra of the rule of insan. Means to be human is to remember Allah Ta'ala. It's ingrained in us. So therefore, one does not require so much takallus or so much artificial mm, formality in order to make oneself remember Allah Ta'ala. So, for example, in the method of teaching of Amr of Naqshaband, there's a zikr known as Barakaba. Now, if somebody just understands the basic description and instruction on how to do it, and they should just sit down and do it and keep their focus, which is on remembering Allah's name, then they will be successful. And if a person focuses or dwells too much on the rasam, that you know, well, how should I be sitting and how should I be breathing and what exactly should I be thinking, then they spend so much time thinking about that instead of uh, being able to think or focus on the thinker of Allah subhanahu wa and instead of being able to focus on the name. Even just like that would be the example of Shaykh. So there's a reality to having a Shaykh because that's from the Quran and Sunnah. Allah subhanahu wa said in Quran, Kunu ma join the company of your heart and your very being with the being of those who are true on me. That me entirely consists of giving and receiving and sharing good counsel and Masihah. So these are relationships, these are companionships, these are gatherings. Right? But, again, so they're adopted as a method and as a means, but they're not a goal and of themselves. The purpose of all of those things is to learn deen, to be guided on deen, to come closer to Allah's fountain on deen. The purpose of all of that relationship is to learn Sharia, to follow Sharia, to adopt Sharia, to increase your Amal on Sharia. The purpose of those relationships is to learn something, to practice something, to increase yourself on something. So, to whatever extent and as long as those things are there, 
the wrestling has value because it's bringing you towards the goal. And as soon as those things start fading away or even worse, disappearing, then the wrestling doesn't have that type of value anymore. Again, the soul of a person must remain focused on the goal. The goal that and because you need to keep the goal in mind every step of the way, every single step has to be done for the sake of the goal. Every zikr, every ibadah, every amal, every sohba, every madhulah, every dhyan, everything has to be done for the goal of tafkiyah and earning a lot of pleasure. And so because every single thing has to be done for the goal, then every second the person has to have this ikhlas. Every moment the person has to have this loss. Now to renew this ikhlas, to constantly renew it and increase it and maintain it, that requires effort. And that's what sometimes people say that, you know, when I started out on this path, I was very sincere. All I wanted was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All I wanted was to become closer to him. All I wanted was just to become a better person, a better man, a better abid, a better worshiper. But then, you know, like something happens along the way. Sometimes the person gets caught up in something. They get caught up in the group, or they get caught up in name, or they get caught up in fame, or they can get caught up in something. And so then a person has to re retool themselves, readjust, recalibrate themselves, bring them back into the path of Islam. Especially this is true for those who are doing Nawa of Deen and Sisman of Deen. They should always be very scared that, you know, I'm sharing need and spreading need, but what if I don't get need myself? And, you know, a very good example of this, because I was reading a story about somebody in India, and it was an escape story. Uh, you know, that story is sort of, you know, I'm not exactly even modify because it's a story. I'm going to just modify that story so that you can understand what I want to explain better. So the story was about AC, air conditioning in India. And what happens is that there are people in these stores who sell the air conditioners. And, you know, they know about all the different brands and the models and the features. And they're in sales. And sales, as you know, about commission and how well you can sell your product. And there's a wonderful AC salesman. He knows about all the different models and features. And when people in, he's really able to sell a lot of units. But because he himself is poor and his salary is little and he has many children, he's never able to buy an AC himself. This is a very strange thing that because of the person's beyond, because of the person's marketing and describing the AC, so many people come to the store and get the AC, but the poor fellow themselves, he never ever gets an AC. And he may spend his whole life without AC. And I thought about myself, and, you know, this is what we should be scared of. I said, what if we go and we travel and we teach people Dean and we guide people Dean, and that's a get Dean from us. That's a get Dean from us, but we don't get it ourselves. So every moment you have to check for Islam, all doubt the Dean, yes, it's just for the sake of Ummah, but we always have to be wary of any disarm, any hypocrisy, any what we call Durangi, being two-faced, being, you know, having a discrepancy in our public self and our private self, and any hypnotism, ill 
under any line. So persons always have to be watchful on our Islam. And you know, one way to do this is to keep a check on your niyyah. Another way, another way to understand this is that just even before checking the niyyah, what we call for preventive medicine, is to formulate like a preemptive strike to always try to have the best niyyah in everything that you do before you even do it. Because if you wait till you start it and you try to during it, it's not always easy. And all these other things creep in, other motivations and other intentions, other aspirations get all mixed up in a person. So then what should our Nia be? Well, here I find interestingly and mashallah, the overwhelming majority of people who have aggregated the initial niya, their first niya was very pure. And that's what that's the niya the person makes when they take care to a shaykh and so on. What was that? Their niya was two things. was soba and sethkir. Soba and sethkir. Soba means they truly, they were just set up with themselves. And they really just wanted to leave sin once and for all. They wanted to stop, you know, sinning secretly and stop sinning privately. They wanted to once and for all be true to Allah Subhanahu And Tazki, that all the things that they knew, they wanted to just practice them once and for all. They were sick and tired of the gap between their ilm and al. And they wanted to learn more and all these wonderful things that they heard about being and all these incredible ulama, besides they read about history, they just wanted to be like that. Not the fame or the name, but they just wanted to be from Muttaqeen. They wanted to be from Salihin. So there was a need of Tazkiyah, that I just wanted to purify myself and develop myself and work on myself so I can become a person who Allah Ta'ala was happy with. And these two intentions are like the two purest intentions that a person can have. Soba, Tazkiyah, Soba, Tazkiyah, Soba, Tazkiyah. And Alhamdulillah, like I told you, almost everyone, 99% of the people I've ever known, their initial niya, their initial starting point niya, whenever they got connected to any shaykh, any tariqah, some world, generally Tazkiyah even, even when they just came to any beyond from that matter, it was always for the right reason. Always for the sincerity, and alhamdulillah, is the penum and sultan of Allah not done with the seek of Allah not done So, like I said, what happens is during, what happens later, during the journey, along the journey, sometimes when a person's niyat gets adulterated, something gets mixed in along with that pure niyat, right? And that's why it's important to constantly renew and refresh your original niyat. One way to do that for the Toba is to pray to Islam the Toba. Don't just wait, you know, necessarily for any particular sin. Just do it to refresh that additional niya. That my niya is with Toba, that's not that's still my niya. It's still, I, I may be in this for five years, ten years, fifty years. It's still my niya that everything I'm doing is all part of my Toba to you. To make up for all of the times I sinned, to make up for all of the times that I wasted make up for all of the people I hurt, make up for all of the people I let down. I'm still on the mission of Toba. It's not done yet. might happen that, okay, in one particular sin, we may have left that particular sin, 
the development of Allah Subhanahu But the overall mission of Toba, feeling of Toba, niya, intention of Toba, that has to remain. That's called Islam. That's called Islam. It doesn't mean you, the person has to be so hard on themselves, you myself, and not so generous. But the notion is that it's always, I can spend my whole life making up the Lusantala, and it's still not enough. Even for one Fajr, we should feel like that. If a person missed one Fajr, one Kaza of Fajr in their life, that's how they should trip. spend my whole life making this up to Lusantala. I can pray every Salah on time, I'll do so many things, I'll learn deen, practice deen, ilm, thicker, dawah, sinma, I'll do everything. And they should feel like it's still won't be why did I miss that pleasure that one time? It's interesting, you know, you see that with human relationships. With, you know, in human relationships, if there's a major violation in that relationship, it takes years. And even then the person, you know, he'll go to his life, you know, they spend five years and they still think, I can't make it up to you. There's, but that's the feeling. That's called Toba. So this feeling, right, I'll, keep, I, I'll keep trying, it's not a defeatist feeling, it's not supposed to make a person Bad and depressed. So I will keep trying to my Toba, but all my life I've just been making up to my Allah Subhanahu Even if it was just for a single sin, even if I've left that sin for you. Alright? It would be very important. And it's this feeling of Toba and this Islam of Toba that saves the person from falling back into sin. Otherwise, you know, even if you leave the sin, but you think that now that you've left it, you don't need to make up the Allah anymore. And she thought Jesus to whip you right back into that sin. Right back. It slams you back into that sin. Allah has said to me, never think to reach attain something or achieve something or accomplish something or succeed it. Keep making it to the sin. Keep making it to the sin. And just like that, with the second day, which is Tazkian, and, you know, in the beginning, again, normally when a person comes to the first gathering, first meal, first meal, if they think I'm a total beginner, I'm, you know, starting this journey, there's so much I need to learn, and so much I learned to this is one meal. But what happens to them if they're a student for five years, eight years, so then they feel like I've done a lot of this yet. I listen to a lot of meal, I've implemented a lot of these things in my life, I've sat with Ulama, I've sat with Masai. I'm reading the books of the great few, Imam Al-Zayn Imam Al-Bani and I'm practicing those things, and I see changes in myself, right? So again, now you have to check your class. At the beginning, it was easy to have that pure niya in the class because we were needy, and we felt we were nothing. But then along the way, at some point, we became something. In other words, we were able to, you know, and Allah, this is the hope that we have for everybody. And ourselves is that whatever we learn, we try to practice it. And obviously, when you practice it, you realize it, that if you practice it, it's teaching. So, when a person never ever practiced any teaching yet, they can have Niyat and Tazkiyah. But then a person who starts practicing, and then the more they practice, and the more successful they are at the practice, the more regular they are at the practice, the more Islamah they have, and sometimes they lose that the passion of that Niyat and Tazkiyah. Again, bring back the Islam. Just like I gave the example of Toba. And we have to spend our whole life making it into Muslim Just like that in Tazkia, we have to spend our whole life reforming our nafs. We have to spend our whole life purifying our hearts. We have to spend our whole life striving 
with the third level of Kabbalah. There's no level of attainment that we can reach in which we can rest content and, and strive less and purify less. No. It's always a mission, non-stop, ever ongoing mission. In different Shalabala, we can remain firm, and we've all fallen into the trap of falling into a wrestle of focusing on the means and forgetting the hits because it's the exhaust, the kia of Goba and Sakya that keeps the end always in mind and gives the end always priority and therefore that the method always remains the method. We may go on the Ummah and to the reward of all of our listeners and all of our friends and families for this path of Goba and Sakya keep us always ever on the sauce and if he ever tests our sauce we can only test it to himself and so he to pass that test it may be only a means of increasing us strengthening us in our sauce while I'll that one and just come to this uh, he's a bit